So our last talk of the day, last but certainly not the least, and will be one of the more entertaining of our talks today, Marion Peters, Professor of Medicine and Chief of Hepatology Research at University of California, San Francisco, is going to talk to us about curing hepatitis B. Thank you very much, Connie, and thank you so much for staying. So these are my disclosures and my learning objectives are in your syllabus. The first question is, what's the status of hepatitis B this year? Which is true? Acute hepatitis B in adults leads to loss of surface antigen usually. HPV infection can be cured. Currently available drugs lead to loss of surface antigen usually. And hepatitis B is not a latent virus. I know you're tired, but try and vote. Okay, and the next question is, there are at least 40 drugs in the pipeline at the moment. So which drug is not, which class of drugs is not in clinical phase one or two? Drugs that target core protein, entry into the hepatocyte, CCC DNA in the nucleus, mRNA or HPV secretion? Guess. <laughs> and then we're going to see how good I am at convincing you of the answer. Or if you really just go back to sleep. Okay. This is my job. So when we talk about um, the prevalence of hepatitis B and hepatitis C, it's really hepatitis B which is the worldwide infection. It used to be 350 million, but estimates are coming down because some countries, not ours, are doing great jobs of vaccinating. <laughs> hepatitis C is also coming down, and here is HIV that's down a bit from the last time I did it. Co-infection with B and HIV is thought to be about 4 to 10 million. And hepatitis B super infection in the chronic, hep hepatitis C super infection in the chronic hepatitis B infected individuals is usually people who have disease from childhood and then get infected with hep C. So the thing that's different between hep B and hep C is that hepatitis C you go from a no scarring or a touch of scarring all the way to cirrhosis. Or you may only go part of the way along the line, but you never go backwards unless you're cured. Whereas hepatitis B changes over time. You can have no damage in the liver to a cirrhotic liver. You can treat the patient with uh, nukes and go back to F0. So it's a very dynamic disease. 
and the risk of end-stage liver disease and cancer increases with ongoing inflammation and viremia in adults. For fibrosis is reversible, drugs decrease fibrosis, hepatitis B can be controlled, but it cannot be cured in 2019. Reactivation can occur even in those who've lost surface antigen. And if uh, neonates or young children are exposed to hepatitis B, either in utero or early childhood, over 95% will develop chronic disease. This is exactly the opposite as adults. So adults who are exposed to hepatitis B, over 95% clear surface antigen. And HIV patients who are exposed to hepatitis B are in the middle, about 20% become chronic. And what sort of control do you have with your hepatitis B? Well, you can have inflammatory control with no liver damage, normal ALT, normal liver biopsy if you were silly enough to do it. You can have virologic control with decrease in HBV DNA. You can have immune control with seroconversion from E antigen to E antibody, and the ultimate from surface antigen to surface antibody. But as I said before, you can't cure it, you can only control it. How well do we do with our current drugs? Well, this is a, um, and I've just picked one of each because there are too many slides and I haven't enough time. So if you look on the left here, this is histologic improvement. In red, it's at one year, and in green, it's greater than two years, three years. So you can see the vast majority of patients get rid of their inflammation and over years reverse their scarring with current nukes. If, how well do you do on controlling virologically? So I showed you histologically, this is virologically, and you can see they do very well at controlling HPV DNA to undetectable levels either in tecavir or tenofovir. These are not head-to-head -head studies. This is just a slide of multiple studies. In blue is interferon. And interferon, it does decrease HPV DNA, but it's more immune control. It normalizes ALT, leads to seroconversion, and less of complete control of HPV DNA. But how well does it current therapy do in getting rid of surface antigen terribly. So this is the same scale. So surface antigen loss is way less than 10%. And the best studies for surface antigen loss are with interferons that we don't use in the US because doctors don't like giving them and patients don't like taking them. But the best study was described in France with tenofovir and pegylated interferon, nearly 10% lost surface antigen at one year. But this was heavily um, balanced by genotype A patients, which are the best responders to interferon. If we look at E antigen negative patients, only interferon leads to loss of surface antigen. And loss of surface antigen on long-term nukes is like rocking horse manure. So, I, uncommon, um, I am going to 
use this cartoon over and over. So if you don't get it the first time, you'll get it the tenth time. So this is the uh, partially double-stranded DNA virus that binds to the receptor, the sodium tyrocholate co-transporting polypeptide, gets endocytosed into the cytoplasm, gets released into the cytoplasm, transported to the nucleus, where host enzymes uh, convert it to co covalently closed circular DNA. And this is the template for transcription. You transcribe pregenomic RNA, which associates with core and polymerase into an immature nuclear capsid. Here's where reverse transcriptase inhibitors occur. Then you make your DNA, you make partially mature nuclear capsid. Then you get coat, the virus gets coated by surface antigen, goes out to infect another cell. So you have entry, nuclear transport, transcription, translation, encapsidation with core and pregenomic RNA and polymerase, assembly and secretion. And the other fact you have to know is that you get, this is the transcription of the virion, but you also get transcription of subspiral particles that's an, a, a separate transcription. So you make pre-core protein that gets secreted as E, or you make the surface antigen proteins that get secreted as either spheres or tubules in hundredfold vast excess to the mature virion. So what happens when you clear surface antigen? Remember, 95% more or more of adults who get acute hep C, B clear surface antigen. Well, you don't have surface antigen in the serum. You don't have anything going on in the cytoplasm. The immune system thinks your surface antigen negative, and you have antibody to surface, antibody to core, and the immune system says you're recovered. That's what the textbooks say. You're recovered or prior infection. But as you were told, I'm going back to the first talk of the day by Dr. Chin Hong, that you can actually have CCC DNA sitting around in the nucleus that you can turn on with severe immune suppression. The two best are rituximab and stem cell transplant, which is around 10 to 15%. And you can even become surface antigen positive up to 22 months after your last dose of rituximab. TNF inhibitors are in the 5 to 10% range. HIV, when, going, when you're immune suppressed, can also increase the chance of developing reverse seroconversion. So it's truly a latent virus. Nobody ever calls it that, but that's really what it is. And nobody's biopsied a thousand so-called normal people who recovered from hep B to see how many have CCC DNA in the nucleus. They only know from the studies of giving potent immunosuppression and seeing who gets hep B back. So when we talk about the types of cure, there's a functional cure, which is what happens to adults who clear surface antigen. They're off drug, they have no inflammation, they have normal ALT, they don't have surface antigen, and they usually have antibody to surface. 
But obviously, the ideal cure, which is not what happens in humans who get exposed to B, is to have a virologic cure and get rid of CCC DNA from the nuclei. We're not anywhere near that. What we're going to talk about today is a functional cure. But perhaps an interim goal is the inactive state that you have no inflammation, normal ALT, normal liver biopsy, low or undetectable HPV DNA, so no damage to the liver. Long-term cohort studies show very low chance, but still possible, of developing cirrhosis and cancer, but the patient is still surface antigen positive. So first we're going to talk about all the different drugs, and I'll just use one example of each type of uh, inhibitor because there's not enough time. So on the left are the virologic approaches, on the right are the host immune approaches. We'll start with entry inhibitors. So here's the virus coming along the sinusoid. It gets slowed down by heparan sulfate proteoglycans. It binds to its receptor, the sodium tyrocholate cotransporting polypeptide, gets endocytosed and released. And small molecule inhibitors can actually bind this receptor and inhibit the virus getting into the cell. And one such uh, peptide is Mercludex B, which competes for hepatitis B entry into the cell, but also for hepatitis D, because D is um, in, uh, only a partial virus that uses surface antigen coat. And this prevents entry into the cell and blocks it at picomolar concentrations, which leads to small increases in serum bile acids and it stops new infec infection of new hepatocytes. So this is a study presented last year of a multi-center open-label phase B study to assess safety and e efficacy of mercludex and tenofovir in patients with B and D. And they had 120 E-antigen negative patients who were either treated with tenofovir on the left at the bottom tenofovir alone and increasing doses of Mercludex. And you can look at decrease in hepatitis D virus RNA and you can see that all doses of, of Mercludex B was better than tenofovir alone, which didn't do much. And the 10 uh, milligram dose was the best at about 60% achieving the primary endpoint of a two log reduction in HDV RNA at 24 weeks. The problem, if you look on the right, is that once you stop the treatment, it bounces back to pre-treatment levels. The problem with hep uh, hepatitis D is that in, with interferon alone, only 25% respond, and even increasing up to two years doesn't do a lot. But proof of principle, it does something while you're on the drug. So this is entry inhibition. What about blocking CCC DNA? Well, there are a number of different drug classes. You can block it with disubstituted sulfonamides. You can degrade it by CRISPR-Cas or anti-HEP-B. Um, uh, you can silence it with histone acetyltransferase inhibitors 
or even HBX targeting drugs. These are all in preclinical. And since drugs like CRISPR-Cas, they're very good if you're trying to uh, correct a gene abnormality, but for hepatitis B, you want to get rid of everything. Getting rid of 90% is not going to be good enough because you can just keep going. So CCC, DNA are all in the preclinical, and we don't have anything yet targeting nuclear transport. What about RNA, RNA interference? There are a huge number of drugs in phase one, phase two, in preclinical um, pre for some very enthusiastic and aggressive uh, drug companies. And I'm going to show you some data on ARC520, which was terminated for toxicity because it's a very good proof of principle. So ARC520 was a combination of siRNAs directed against the conserved um, HPV RNA sequences, which knocked down HPV RNA, HPV proteins, and HPV DNA levels. And these two siRNAs covered the 96, nearly over 99% of then known sequences, conjugated to cholesterol and hepatocyte targeting ligands. They're taken up by endosomes into the hepatocyte, released into the cytoplasm, and then there are a number of drugs that have now looked at one month, a lot at one month data, ARC520 at long term data, and Arbutus at 24 week data. So I want you to look, this is one patient who was E antigen positive and was given a single dose, which is the top left followed by multi-doses, and the red arrow is the beginning of the multi-dose, and the green arrow is the last of the multi-dose, and the top line is quantitative surface antigen. And you can see it decreases it by a log and a half, and then when you get another dose, by another log, and then it goes down to undetectable. The blue at the bottom is ALT. You get a flare in the virus when you decrease the amount of virus, you flare your ALT and get some inflammation. Then if you look on the left, this looks at HBV DNA as well as HBV RNA, showing they also decrease. And in the top right is a slide showing that when the correlated antigen, and correlated antigen is E antigen, um, core protein, and P22, so it's a mixture of core-type proteins. When they decrease, the patient seroconverted from E antigen to E antibody, and H, uh, quantitative surface antigen became undetectable. So this patient had a brilliant outcome, even though the drug was stopped, proving that it's always good to be in a phase one study. You either die or you're cured. <laughs> so maybe that's not good, but it's often good to be in the cured side. Then, so this is Arbutus' drug, 1467, where they took a phase two single blind study in patients that were followed for 12 months after the first dose. They were E antigen negative patients, and you can see here the first cohort was in the lower dose given monthly injections in red, 
and then the bottom black line on the right is every two-week injections, showing that you got a steeper decline in quantitative surface antigen when you gave the drug more frequently. Five of the seven responded, reaching undetectable surface antigen levels. So we'll have to see what happens with time. Do patients actually lose their surface antigen and make antibody to surface? But it's exciting, and there's many more types of drugs to come. So this is siRNAs, which are in phase one and phase two globally. So what about capsid inhibitors? Core protein, which is within the virion, is essential, essential for HPV genome packaging. So here, you need the core to package your immature nuclear capsid and then make a mature one. So core is a critical part of the virion. It's also important for reverse transcription. It's also important for intracellular trafficking. And it's important for maintenance of chronic infection because when part of the nuclear capsids go out into the serum, leave the cell to infect another cell, some of it goes back into the nucleus to replenish CCC DNA. So normally when you have core protein, they dimerize, they bind with pregenomic RNA and reverse transcriptase to make functional nuclear capsid. So these inhibitors come in two versions. Class one on the bottom, which like heteroaryl pyrimidines, which were the earliest core protein inhibitors, GLS, GLS4 and BAE41, make aberrant core proteins. So they're aggregates that get degraded. You never make a nuclear capsid. The second class are CPAMs, or core protein allosteric modulators, that actually make empty capsids. So you have a core capsid, but it's not functional. I don't know which one's going to win, but there are more drug companies on this version. And there are multiple studies in phase one, phase two being evaluated. And one such is the J&J &J nuclear capsid inhibitor, where they gave different doses at 25 milligrams, placebo, 75 milligrams, and 150. And you can see on the um, graph on the right, the left-hand side of the graph is 25 milligrams, and the right-hand side of the graph is 75 milligrams, and you can see a very nice decrease in HPV RNA. They usually don't, they're usually not quite as potent as the siRNAs, but maybe combinations is where the next step is to go. So these are encapsidation core inhibitors that inhibit either um, making the core nuclear capsid and inhibit maturing the core and recycling back into the nucleus. So what about secretion inhibitors? Uh, Replicor has the furthest along studies and the other companies have preclinical studies. And I won't show you all the um, cartoons for Replicor, but this is a global summary of follow-up responses after removal of all therapy, which is a long way ahead of all the other drugs. I showed you one month, 
12 weeks, 24 weeks. This is 24 weeks after a year of therapy. So these were 40 patients who were given interferon and the nucleic acid polymers, secretion inhibitors. And at this stage, 34 patients had completed treatment. And of those, 14 of them were surface antigen negative, HPV DNA undetectable. So 41% or 30-something uh, percent if you take 40% as um, the total number so far, have actually had a functional cure. And of those who didn't have a functional cure, all but one developed the inactive state. So they're all better off than when they started with, because they started with inflammation and scarring, and they all ended with no inflammation, no virus, and some of them no surface antigen. These studies were done in Moldova and Bangladesh. The ACTG is repeating a study under very stringent circumstances here in the US, and we'll see if this exciting data can be replicated. The problem is that it's given IV, so that's a bit of a killer, a year of Replicor but every week. But it's exciting because it's proof of principle that you can get rid of surface antigen. So these are assembly and secretion nucleic acid polymers and inhibiting surface antigen. When you get rid of surface antigen, you induce an immune response. So what about host immune approaches? You all know about interferon. Rig I agonists uh, has, is only very early data. It's a pattern recognition receptor, and the effect appears to be very modest. TLR7 has had no effect on surface antigen in uh, phase, three phase 2B studies done, but they did show an increase in interferon gamma and IL-2. IL-7 had a big splash about nine years ago and has been silent ever since. Barinopan from Australia induces TNF-mediated apoptosis, which was spectacular, did get rid of the virus, but also had major side effects, so that's gone away. Therapeutic vaccines, which have been studied for about 20 years in chronic hepatitis B, are still being studied, but still haven't shown any um, benefit. So what about PD-1 and PDL one You're all familiar with these molecules, um, antibodies. And this is a study done in New Zealand of uh, 22 patients who were given one dose of anti-PD-1 or one dose of anti-PD-1 plus the vaccine, which I told you didn't do anything. And you can see in red that there was a decrease in quantitative surface in all the patients at week 12 and 24, and one patient actually went on to lose surface antigen and make antibody to surface. And addition of the vaccine didn't help. So this is proof of principle that antibody to PD-1 can really benefit patients. And the point I need to highlight is the dose used for renal cell cancer, squamous cell lung, or melanoma is 240 milligrams IV every two weeks. 
This was one dose of 0.3 milligrams per kilogram, which is less than 10% of the dose being used for cancer. And none of these patients had the horrendotoxicities of autoimmunity. Now, it's 22 patients. They may when we do a larger study. But this uh, molecule is also being studied in the ACTG and should open in the next couple of months. So there are many emerging drugs against hepatitis B, many in the pipeline, novel polymerase inhibitors, capsid inhibitors, uh, CCC DNA is being studied preclinically only, core protein inhibitors, SIRNAs, secretion inhibitors, and a host of immune activators. Likely, as with HIV, we'll need combination therapy inhibiting various parts of the life cycle with perhaps an antiviral plus an immune modulator to clean up with either checkpoint inhibitors or other immune stimulants. But what's really critical, it will be the selection of patients. Which patients should we select? Young patients before they have chronic disease and integrate HPV into their genome and therefore have the risk of cancer? Or older patients who have more disease but are perhaps more likely to benefit at the time? And so we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We need to really have good endpoints. Because when I told you that the um, vaccines didn't do anything and the TLRs didn't do anything, maybe we weren't studying the right thing. Maybe they are doing something. They're just not driving down surface antigen. So we really have a lot of work ahead of us in hepatitis B. So this is were you asleep. This is hepatitis B status in 2019. What, which one is true? Acute hepatitis B in adults leads to loss of surface antigen usually. Hepatitis B can be cured. Currently available drugs lead to loss of surface antigen usually. And hepatitis B is not a latent virus. Only one of these is true. Please choose the right one. Or Donna will throw me out. Okay, 61% were listening. Uh, currently available drugs, remember rocking horse manure, doesn't usually get, or hen's teeth doesn't usually get rid of surface antigen. Very good at controlling inflammation, reversing fibrosis, but not very poor at getting rid of surface antigen. And the next one, which of all the 40 drugs being evaluated for hepatitis B cure is not in humans yet? Core, entry, CCC DNA targets, SIRNAs or secretion inhibitors. <laughs> okay, twenty nine per cent have. 15-minute recall. 
So that's the only one that is not in humans. All the others I showed you data in human patients with chronic hepatitis B. Thank you very much. I think that's the most drugs and drug classes in clinical trials or clinical development minutes. I've ever seen. So anybody have additional questions to ask Dr. Peters? Good. I'm glad I have good 15-minute recall. I think if you'd gone any longer, I wouldn't. Um, so for cleared... Um, known HBV infection and HBV infection on current treatment, how should patients be counseled about risk for infecting other people? And uh, I can't read the last question. So basically, how does treatment affect your ability to infect other people? Okay, so if you're, in, if you're infected and not on treatment, sexual transmission, 30%, very effective. If you have undetectable HPV DNA, it's way lower. If you have lost surface antigen, it's zero. Good. Um, so you have to counsel young people about sex. <laughs> so it's one of those sexually transmitted infections not prevented by... Uh, or that you need to worry about using condoms for. Although, what about PrEP? So, so what do you tell study, people So there's a PrEP. good study from the Netherlands where they looked at HPV as PrEP. So they took a group of, I'm going to get the numbers not quite right, like 350 individuals who were on, put on uh, antiretroviral. They'd all been vaccinated. Some had responded, but as you know, HIV patients don't all respond, so some hadn't responded. And they looked at those who hadn't responded, who were having ongoing sexual activity, and who were either on a tenofovir-based therapy or a non-tenofovir-based therapy. And the uh, in HIV individuals who were on tenofovir-based therapy had a very small number who developed acute hepatitis B, whereas those who weren't on tenofovir-based therapy, it was much higher. So it does work as PrEP, but you can't take it 2111. You have to be on it. Right. Okay. Um, please discuss quantitative surface antigen levels and how to use them. So that it hasn't been approved by the FDA but some companies are selling the drug at vast expense. Europe, it is CE-approved assay where they've shown in patients on interferon, if at 24 weeks you don't have a one-log drop in surface antigen, you can stop the interferon, you won't get a response. So it's a negative, a very strong negative predictive value. It's also been used in Asia that if your quantitative surface is under 200, that's a tiny amount, you have a good chance of clearing surface antigen. We don't use it here because it's only just become available in the last few months, 
but both of these studies of PD-1 and Replicor will use quantitative surface antigen as endpoints. Okay. Um, this is an age-old question we get all the time. Uh, but maybe you can enlighten us. What percentage of patients who are core antibody positive, surface antigen negative, surface antibody negative, have CCC DNA? Well, that's a great question. But nobody has gone and biopsied them because it's unethical. <laughs> so I can't answer that question. I can answer what, hap what happens when you give them the best stimulants, stem cell transplant or rituximab. Rituximab in 10 to 15% will revert to surface antigen. And if you're only core positive versus core and surface positive, the core positives are more likely to get the surface antigen back. Now, in HIV, I used to say 10 years ago that a third of them were false positives, but now we have much better assays and false positives are almost unknown so approximate, most of them are really latent infection and a few of them have mutations in surface antigen and they really are viremic and have HPV DNA in the serum. So if you have an HIV patient who's anti-core positive, you have to check surface antigen. And if you put them on rituximab for uh, lymphoma, you'll you'll turn them back into surface antigen if you don't have them on B drugs as part of their antiretroviral therapy. Okay, I'm not exactly sure what the question writer is getting at, but I think there are several concepts kind of embedded in this question, but um, should you attempt to treat HBV before starting HIV treatment or delay? Uh, hepatitis B treatment, but I presume this means in the setting of not being able to use an HBV uh, active HIV treatment. So, so the guidelines say you should never treat B alone. If someone has B and HIV, they both have to be treated with tenofovib or based therapy. And even my 84-year-old grandmothers, I test HIV. Every patient with B gets hep A, because if they haven't been, if they're not immune, they get vaccinated, they get hep C, get hep D, get HIV before I put them on treatment. You should not treat hep B alone. If a patient refuses HIV therapy, the only drug they can have is interferon, and interferon works least well in people with high viral loads and normal ALT, which describes all our HIV patients. So really, you have to convince the patient to take both. Okay, I think if there are no further questions, we'll thank Dr. Peters for a wonderful tour de force. So I'm just gonna make a few concluding remarks. First, as you can see outlined on the slide, if you'd like further instructions on claiming CME, ABIM, mock points, or pharmacy nursing or pharmacotherapy credits, um, please visit the IASUSA website, log in, and follow the directions. If you're not receiving emails about upcoming programs, um, please let us know. 
The case presentation slides as well as final presentation slides will be available on the website approximately 24 hours following the course. And again, this would be specific to the Spring Los Angeles course. Um, this is just a plug for other things that are available through IAS USA. If you look at uh, the topics on the website, you'll find further updates of presentations that were made at CROI that we couldn't all cover today, and other presentations related to a variety of upcoming web webinars, upcoming courses, and a lot of really good high-quality educational materials for practitioners. So this concludes our presentations for today. I thank you all for your attention. This has been a fantastic day. I think we've all learned a lot. I always learn something every time I meet with my colleagues. So thank everyone for their wonderful talks, for your attention, and safe travels home. <laughs>